0: these words from the author of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When we are inviting people into the faith, when you're inviting people into life with Jesus, when you're inviting people into this, this what we profess and what we believe and, and what we live and, and or in the very least endeavor to live for as, as the people of God, as the church, when you're inviting people into the faith, what is it that you are inviting people into? In, in the way that you are living your life, is it clear to the world around you exactly what it means and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And and Now, we're not going back to our Great Commission series, but listen, if the Great Commission, this command to go and make disciples, to go and invite people into relationship, into a learning relationship with Jesus, to become learners of the way of Christ and the goodness of who Jesus is, if that doesn't undergird everything that we do as a church, then we ought to close the doors. Because everything that we do, we ought to be able to hold up against the Great Commission and ask the question, is this helping us to live into this? Now, for us as a church, we believe that our mission is to love this community and invite all to discover life in Christ. Buried in there, woven into that is the Great Commission. And we believe the vision, the things that that allows us to do that, is that uh, we, we live in such a way that all are becoming deeply transformed disciples who live for the transformation of hearts this church, the community around us, and the world. Amen? Yes. Amen. Now, we're in our season of, of gratitude and a series of gratitude. Last week, we, we had an opportunity to remember the saints, um, those who had gone before us in the faith, those who encouraged us, those who, um, whose, whose lives were lived in such a way that our lives were impact, impacted. And, and we want to continue to consider wh- wh- who are those people in our lives, and if they are people that are still living, thank those people. Thank them for their witness and the way that they are living in a way that's encouraging you in your faith. But as you consider your own life, and, and as we consider the fact that this commission undergirds everything that we do, when you think about what it means to invite people into life with Jesus, do they have a clear understanding of what you are inviting them to? I, I've lived in, in Boone now since the fall of, of 93. Um, I... Graduated in '98, I was uh, fortunate to be on the five-year plan um, as a college student, and then after graduating, just uh, just felt like this was where God wanted me to be. And God opened a door for me to to serve in this church, to begin in youth ministry, and then to transition into a pastoral role. and And so this was this was after I had graduated from college and, and was still living here. A buddy of mine called me up and said. Hey, I'm going to this uh, this dinner tonight. Um, Some friends of mine are putting on this dinner. It's going to be really nice, like you know, several courses like appetizers, salad, main course, dessert. I mean, just the whole nine yards. He said, "I mean, I'd love for you to come." Um, They're actually going to have it in a a ballroom of one of uh, the hotels that's here. This hotel's not here anymore, but I was like, "Man, free meal, lots of food." Like they just keep serving it and bringing it in different courses. Um, get to spend time with some friends. He, this, this guy actually invited uh, myself and, and a couple of other people, and we're like, this sounds fantastic. Who, who would not want to say yes to something like this? Um, we, we get there, and, and they begin you know, serving the meal, and I'm like, just, just keep, come on, just keep bringing it. This is, this is awesome. Like, I love being invited. I love getting to share time with friends. I love a good meal. I, love, I loved the fact that I got invited to this thing. But about midway through the meal, I realized that I I didn't know what what it was that I had been invited to, that my my friend had left out the fact that as um, my penance for enjoying this meal was that I was going to be subjected to a sales pitch. And... And, and I, I kind of realized this partway through as people are coming around and setting things on the table that, that is going to be part of this presentation that, that we're going to have to hear, the sales pitch that we're, we're going to have to hear. And, and, you know, two things happen. One, I'm, I'm kind of put out with my friend. I'm like, you, you weren't clear, man. Like, you didn't tell us what it was that you were inviting us into. And the second was that I like, I, like, look around at the guys that he invited, and I'm thinking, man, you, like, you weren't hoping for much out of this, were you? Like, we, we came because there was a free meal, because that, like, that's, you know, for us, that, that was, like, at that time in our lives, and I mean, I'd still take a free meal, but, but like, you, you just weren't hoping for a whole lot out of this group of guys that you invited to come to this thing with you, but, but the fact that, that you weren't, you could have just said, hey, like, come to this meal, the food's gonna be great, there's going to be a sales pitch, you know, whatever, like just come enjoy the food. I, I'm checking a box by having some people at my table because I said that that was what I was going to do. But he left that whole part out. And, and I'm thinking, just be, just be honest. Like just let us know up front this is what to expect. And I wonder when we are inviting people or considering and and whatever that looks like for you, the the way that you invite people into the faith, the way that you live in such a way, the way that you offer to walk alongside people as they're hurting, the way that you offer to pray with people, the way that maybe sometimes you actually share the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's done in your life. When you're inviting someone into the faith, do they have a clear idea of what they're being invited into based on the way that you live your life? A better question would be, Based on the way that you live your life, what is someone's understanding of what life as a Jesus follower is meant to look like? Does does what you say and and the way that you lived, those things match up? Are you giving a clear depiction of of what this is? Or or would somebody get into it and be like, "This, this is not at all what you told me this was going to be? Because the way that you're living and, and the things that you're saying and, and now what I'm actually experiencing, that this doesn't measure up, this doesn't line up. You invited me to a free meal and now there's all this expectation on me. There are things that are being asked of me that I didn't know were gonna be asked. I'm, I'm, I'm grinning because I, um, my sister-in-law um, who was, before she was my sister-in-law, was a, a volunteer uh, in the youth ministry. And she came to me after years of volunteering. As we're continuing to to recruit new leaders, and she said, "Hey, I, I have a, a request." I was like, "Yeah, what is it?" Like, you've got lots of stake in this, and, and I mean, just God just used Emily and really and continues to in amazing ways to impact the lives of um, of girls that she ministered to. And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." She said, you, you do your training like when you're training new leaders, but then let them spend some time with me and some other seasoned leaders um, so that we can tell them what this is really going to cost them. And, and she said, because I had no idea that like I was going to, everything in my life was going to, like I just would think about these girls all the time. I would pray for these girls all the time. I would be so invested in their lives because my heart would just begin to beat for them and for them to know Jesus. And, and so I wonder, like, when we're, are we telling the full story in the way that we live our lives? And what is that story? The author of Hebrews, we, we were in Hebrews the beginning of chapter 12 uh, last week. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off um, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us um, fix our eyes on Jesus and run with perseverance the race marked out before us. And, and we talked about this cloud of witnesses, both the people in our own lives who are watching us, but then the people who have gone before us who are cheering us on in the faith. The purpose of Hebrews, for the author of Hebrews, is to encourage a people who, who grew up in the Jewish faith, in the Jewish tradition, and have come to know Jesus as Savior, who have come to know Jesus as Messiah, who have accepted the good news of the gospel, and, and yet they find that it's difficult. It's difficult for them to live this life faithfully. They find themselves in a lot of ways kind of torn between two traditions. Torn between the old way of thinking and the old way of doing things. And, and, then, and then torn between what is promised and what is, what is told about life in Christ. And so the author of Hebrews is writing to encourage these people, to urge them on to continue, there are the number of times that that Jesus is referred to as being better, the better High Priest, the better sacrifice, in in this letter um, to to the to, to the Hebrew Church. Um, To encourage them and say hey it's worth it hang in there Jesus is the better sacrifice Jesus is the better high priest Jesus is worth pursuing Jesus is worth fixing your eyes on there are people that have gone before you that have made possible this message coming to you what you're doing the way that you are suffering the life that you are trying to live it is worth it hang in there Jesus is enough Jesus is sufficient Jesus is the the better thing that you can pursue in your life and I wonder how many of us need to hear those words of encouragement because For us, we might not be torn between an old tradition. Now, depending on um, what your maybe your church background is, if you grew up in the church, for some of you, the number of times that people come to me and say, my understanding of Jesus and my understanding of grace and this life of freedom that I've invited into has been completely blown up because it's not the way that I was raised. It's not what I was brought up in. Praise God for that. And, and, and just know that the way that you were brought up, God uses that as a foundation for where you are now. I think, I think we have to be careful not to just negate whatever our history and whatever our tradition is with the church, even if it was harmful because God uses that to show us that, hey, that's not, that's not the, what, what I intended. That's not the, the best way or or not what life with me is supposed to look like. But for many of us, the tug of war that we feel is not necessarily between an old tradition and an old way of believing things. It's between this world in which we live and what culture tells us is important and what the world tells us that we ought to value and that we ought to revere and that we ought to chase and that we ought to pursue the things that the world holds up uh, for us as being like just chase this, pursue this, get this. That's where your identity, that's where your worth comes from. And and that's you know, we're we're all convinced that it's different things. Find that one, like have that relationship. You find that person, you'll know your worth. Like you you'll be loved. You'll know what it means to um, to have to have value and have somebody who loves you. Or or if you just you know can continue to to be successful in in your career endeavors, or if you can have the right material things or, or, or maybe it's in, in the kind of family that you raise or wh- whatever it may be. We are constantly being bombarded with things that the world says are important, the world says that we should value. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't seek to be successful in your career. I'm not saying that you shouldn't um, seek to enjoy relationship that God has given you. Like all of those things, are not, I mean, they're not inherently wrong. But the problem is that we allow culture to twist our vision and, and, and twist our perception of those things to the point that we begin chasing those things as being more important than our relationship with Jesus. We we chase this life and say, God, I, I just pray that you bless this life that I'm that I'm trying to make for myself. What is life with Jesus look like when the things that we begin to chase start to crumble what, what would be an outsider's understanding of life with Christ when the things that you chase and the things that you have pursued, the relationship you've pursued, the financial security that you've pursued, the success in your career that you've pursued, pursued your, uh, your, your ability as an athlete, well, I mean, whatever it is, like the things that we chase, the things that we pursue in this life, what, is, what does life with Jesus look like when those things begin to crumble, when those things begin to fall apart? What would someone's understanding of what it means and what it looks like to be a Jesus follower be if they watch you walk through these things that begin to crumble and these things that begin to fall apart? Is Someone's understanding of life with Christ solely based on how well you are doing in life, and they think, oh, if I'm following Jesus, then it means I get A, B, and C. Sign me up for that. That sounds great. What happens when A, B, and C don't work out? What is the picture of following Jesus? What are we presenting or portraying to the world? The author of Hebrews here at the end of chapter 12, just before uh, he begins his concluding remarks and exhortations in chapter 13. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There's some really clear instruction there for us, and, and a window into maybe one of the, the things that we ought to consider, one of the things that we ought to pursue, one of the things that we ought to strive for in our lives, of, uh, in, in our life of following Jesus one of the, the characteristics that is evident, that would be evident to the world around you, that would, that would reveal something to the world around you about what it means and what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. What does thankfulness in your life look like? What does gratitude in your life look like? What does worship in your life look like? What are things that you have to be thankful for? And, and what happens when those things for which you are thankful, what if those things begin to be stripped away or what if those things begin to crumble or what if those things begin to go in a direction uh, that, that is different than the direction that they are going in currently? Like, if I say I'm, I'm thankful, uh, you know, if, if someone says I'm thankful for, for financial security, well, what happens if, if things go south with the economy and all of a sudden, like, I'm not as financially secure as I once was? What happens if I end up in a place where I'm just trying to make it, you know, to the next week or I'm just trying to make it to the next paycheck? Then are we still thankful in the same way? What happens if I'm thankful for relationship? What happens if I'm thankful for health and then I get that phone call that says, hey, the checkup that you just had, I have some news and it's not great and we're gonna have to figure out how to deal with it. Then are we still able to live in a posture of thankfulness and gratitude? Is our response to God still one of worship? Or is our thankfulness, our gratitude conditional on things just going well in our lives? And our lives just being comfortable. Because this world convinces us that comfort is the thing that we ought to pursue. If you have this, if you choose this, if you shop here, if you have this kind of of, of life that you've chased, then it will be a life of comfort. You deserve that. Right? And in some ways, we're like, yeah, I do deserve that. Like, if you have raised children, you're like, yeah, life of comfort. I deserve that. And I'll be more specific, like if you are like my wife who has stayed home with our children. She's like, yeah, I'm at the front of the line for a life of comfort. <laughs> like you can take a number and get behind because I have done the work, I've put in the time. That is not who <laughs> It's not who you, I, I, no, correct, it is not who you are. I'm not painting a picture of who you are. I, but no one would blame you, no one would blame you. Because then she's also got a, she's, she's parenting me at the same time. So, <laughs> life for comfort. We buy into this idea that life with Jesus is meant to be a life of comfort, and that's promised to us nowhere in Scripture. It is a life in which we, we, we are promised that we will be comforted, but not a life in which we are promised that we will be comfortable are not the same thing. Is your thankfulness, your gratitude, your worship, does it hinge on things going well in your life? Or is it possible that, like the author of Hebrews is encouraging the Hebrew Christians, is it possible that you have come so face to face and have become so aware of this kingdom that you're a part of as a follower of Jesus, this kingdom that cannot be shaken? that you are able to say, you know what, come what may, I'm still going to choose to give thanks to God. Come what may, I'm still going to choose gratitude. And it might be through tears, and it might be on my knees, and it might be with my face in the dirt because that's about as high as I can lift my head. But I'm still going to choose gratitude because I know that I am a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. I am a part of a kingdom that will not end. I am a part of a a kingdom that that is eternal. I am a part of a kingdom that is present and is still coming. I'm a part of a kingdom in which my circumstances do not define my eternal reality. The author of Hebrews lifts up two examples, if we were to back up from this. What did I say last week? Anytime there is a therefore, we have to ask the question, what is the therefore therefore, right? Here again, there was a therefore at the beginning of chapter 12, there is a therefore at the end of chapter 12. Why is the therefore therefore? That was incorrect grammar. What is the therefore therefore? (laughs) If you were to back up at the beginning of, of this, as it's Written in, in many uh, Bibles to verse 18, the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. We have a picture of, of two mountains. Let me just read some of this. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged, begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now, the author of Hebrews there is pulling from Exodus and Deuteronomy, the picture of the people of God before Mount Sinai where Moses was, um, received, was, was called up onto the mountain to receive the commandments uh, from God. And, and the people around the mountain, the mountain was shrouded in darkness and there was thunder and lightning, and the people around the mountain were given very specific instruction. You can't touch the mountain, the mountain is set apart, it is holy. Even if an animal touches the mountain, you, you have to put that animal to death because of the holiness of the mountain. Because of the holiness of the presence of God, you cannot approach it. Only Moses was allowed to approach the mountain, but even then he, he couldn't be face to face with God. And, and so what, what do the people do? Naturally, they grow tired and weary of waiting, right? And we see in Deuteronomy the story of the golden calf. They convince Aaron, the priest, the brother of Moses, hey, Hey, your boy Moses like, has been gone for a while. He's, he's, got, he's swallowed up by the cloud. We don't know where he is. We don't know what's happened to him. How about you build us a calf? We have an idea, right? How about you build us a calf, Aaron? And then we can worship the calf because we can see the calf. We can touch the calf. We can't touch the mountain. We can't see God. All we can see is a cloud, and we hear this voice thundering, and it's really frightening, and we don't like to be uh, frightened. We like, we like for, for God to be in a box and, and God to be safe, and that's not safe. So we want something that's safe. How about we bring you all of our gold and you fashion for us a calf and then we can worship the calf? And and Aaron for whatever reason was like okay Maybe he was tired of waiting too, right? His brother Moses is gone and now he's the next in charge and he's tired of people coming to him and saying, hey, what happened to Moses? Hey, where's Moses? How come we can't go on the mountain? How come Moses gets to go on the mountain? What's Moses doing on the mountain? How come there's a cloud on the mountain? Where's the sunshine? How come we can't touch the mountain? My dog ran and touched the mountain. Will you, can we just not say anything about that because I don't want to put my dog to death? It, it was probably for Aaron like being in a car ride like a long journey with a bunch of kids, the questions just didn't stop, and if you've been subjected to that, you just know that, like, fine. Do what you want. I'm done. I've always said, like if, you, like, if you needed to interrogate somebody, just put them in a room with a child who just will not stop asking questions. They will tell you whatever you want to know. The, the calf is built, and, and, and the people worship the calf, and it, it, it hangers, it breaks the heart of God. Because God knows that in that, one, it is just an image made by human hands, not even a reflection of his glory and his goodness, his power and his holiness. But people have chosen a lesser thing rather than, than, than choosing the, the very presence of, of God in their midst even though it was a presence they could, could not approach, it was a presence they could not touch, it was a presence they could not see, they could see the effects of it. But it got to the point where the people were like, it's too much, we're afraid, we don't, we, we don't want anything to do with that. In fact, if you could ask God, or, or, or Moses, Aaron, just, uh, th- we want the voice to stop because it's, it's too uncomfortable, it's unnerving to us. So the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, that, 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 was, that was the mountain of judgment. That was the mountain where, where the, the weakness and the sin of, of God's people was exposed and they didn't like that. We don't like to be exposed as being weak. We don't like to be exposed as, as lacking. We don't like to be exposed as, as um, not measuring up. But, verse 22, but... You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There are two mountains. And on our way to Mount Zion, on our way to Jerusalem, on, on our way to the place where the dwelling of God is with his people, we are always going to pass Sinai. It's always in view, the giving of the law and, and the judgment of God and the holiness of God. But the question is, do we stop there at that which is temporal, or do we allow ourselves to continue on to journey, not just to the mountain, but onto the mountain? To climb the mountain, to climb Mount Zion, to climb to the place where we know that the dwelling of God is with his people because God put on flesh and walked among us and made a way for us in the person of Jesus, made a way for us to be and exist and live in this eternal relationship with the Father. Sinai is always in view for us. It's always there. The problem is that many of us stop there because that's where we're told to stop, to stop in the place of judgment, to stop in the place of not measuring up, to stop in the place of this is how you have to live. These are the boxes that you have to check in order to be acceptable to God. The law is meant to reveal to us our weakness. Yes, it's a standard. Yes, God calls us to live in a way that is set apart. That was the purpose for the law given to God's people in the Old Testament. Not because God is like, you know what, they're really going to hate not being able to eat shellfish. That's really going to get under their skin, not being able to have shrimp. Because I know how good shrimp is. I created it. You throw a little Old Bay on it, boil it for a little bit, mmm. It's not so that God could withhold from the people. It's so that the people could have an identity that was set apart from the rest of the world. For too many of us, our view of the law is this thing that's meant to be stifling. And this, this thing that's meant to be avoided, and, and maybe it's always kind of there, and we always kind of hold it up and say, yeah, it's a standard I can't really live up to, and so I don't know that I'm going to try, but I know how to play the game. I know how to appear as being faithful as a follower of Jesus, and I also know the things in this world that I want to chase. And Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm, I'm the fulfillment of the law. Like, I, I didn't come to do away with any of it. It's still important. But I am, I am the picture of what it looks like to live in the freedom that is possible, in the freedom that comes with living a life that is set apart from the rest of the world. David had a window into this in Psalm 16. He writes, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Bless you. I need to know that there are boundary lines in my life. I need to know that God has established for my good and for my protection Lines that I should not cross. And yet the story of so many of us is that we cross those lines. And that's where we tend to stop. Carrying the guilt and the shame of having stepped outside of God's good boundary for us. We're tired of committing the same sin over and over and over again, and we just grow weary. And so we sit down at the foot of Mount Sinai, and we just think, judgment, Heels of thunder lightning darkness like this is it it's a good thing i have my ticket punched for eternity because at least i know that i'll get there someday the author of hebrews says no that's not the mountain that you were meant to stop at it's a part of the story and it's a part of the journey the holiness the unapproachability of god the god who dwells in unapproachable light Is also the God who put on flesh and walked among us, who came into a broken world to seek out the broken and the hurting and the lost, the people who were oppressed by religious leaders, the people who who were worn out from being convinced that they did not have what it took, that they could not measure up, that they could not be faithful as the people of God, and so they better get on their knees and they better continue to offer sacrifices and they better continue to offer offerings that they, in hopes, would be pleasing to God, that God might look at them and say, yeah yeah, I guess you're okay those are the people that Jesus came to and said no that's not the way that I meant for you to live I meant for you to live in a way that is free in the relationship with your Father, in a way that expresses the goodness of who he is and his character, in a way that expresses his heart to the world around him, and his desire to redeem and make whole everything that was broken, and his desire to blow up the darkness and explode it with light, every bit of darkness that is in our lives, and and to make the blind able to see, and to make the, the deaf able to hear, and to make the lame able to walk. That's the life that I came to invite you into. Don't stop at the mountain of God's judgment. Know that it's there and know that all of us are deserving of it. Instead, though, look at it. Be aware of it. Allow yourselves to feel the weight of it and keep walking to the mountain where Jesus has made it possible for us to live in an unbroken fellowship and relationship with our Creator because there was a mountain that He chose to give His life on. On a cross he dealt with the weight of our sin and our guilt as he ushered in a kingdom that knows no end a kingdom that is not defined by how things are going in this world a kingdom that we are invited to participate in and walk in and be citizens of every single day because a better sacrifice was given blood of Abel called out for vengeance and guilt the blood of Jesus covers our iniquity covers our weakness covers our sinfulness and invites us if you look at this picture that the author of Hebrews has described For his readers and for us, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit, to the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That sounds like a a party to me. That sounds like a festival. It sounds like a place where candy is being handed out on the streets to children who are running and playing enjoying the freedom of life with God made possible by Jesus if the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage a people who have grown weary from being pulled in different directions he's saying to them hey there is only one dire- direction worth walking there is only one direction worth living in It's good, and it is unshakable. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. They did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? The time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. There is a shaking that happens. But it would be as if you picked up a, a. artifact, an antique, and you you shook it and you brushed the dust off to reveal the beauty that is underneath. In our lives, when we face difficulty, there is a shaking that happens, but it's so that the extra might be done away with, that the beauty that is underneath is the created of God, those who are created in the image of God might be revealed for the world around us, that the unnecessary might be burned away so that what's left is pure, not perfect, but pure, pure in our love for Jesus, pure in our desire to continue to walk with him, pure in our love for the people around us, pure in our ability to look at the kingdoms of this world and say, they hold nothing for me, because mine is a kingdom that is unshakable. It doesn't hinge on an election. It doesn't hinge on how well the stock market's doing. It doesn't hinge on even my, my, the diagnosis that I just received. Because this life is temporal. But even as I walk this life, I walk it as a citizen of a kingdom that is unshakable. And so I choose to respond in gratitude and thankfulness to the one who made it possible to live a life of gratitude, because it is so easy for us, so easy for us to become jaded, to become cynical Christians. In fact, I think this world encourages it of us, because it's a lot easier for this world to deal with a bunch of cynical Christians, for the world to look at us and say, see, y'all aren't any different than I am. I'm just not pretending. What if we chose not to be cynical? To recognize that there, there are things that are, ways that we are harmed, ways that we are done wrong. There is injustice in this world and we should absolutely fight against it. But as we do that, to choose a posture of gratitude, thanksgiving, and worship to the one who is unapproachable. And yet, out of his love for us, chose to come and be present and walk among us and still does so in his body that is the church. You've heard me say it before, but until Jesus returns, friends, the church, the body of Christ is still the best means by which he intends, by which God intends for the gospel to go into this world. doing it from a place of gratitude, thanksgiving, painting a picture for this world that says, you know what, my hope doesn't rest in anything that's happening in my life or anything that's happening around me. My hope is rooted and is secure in the person of Jesus. And I am a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. And my God is a consuming fire. He's going to continue to deal with me and burn away everything that is not necessary and for that I'm thankful. So I want to encourage you as we go into this week just to say, God, would you reveal to me, show me the things that I have to be thankful for? And and then to say, God, would you deal with my heart and reveal to me the areas of my life where I need to choose thankfulness instead of cynicism or bitterness or hatred? God to do that work because it's a process a process that God is faithful to, that the Holy Spirit is faithful to, Jesus is faithful to and then begin to see how the way that you live your life reveals something maybe different to the world around you, maybe you begin to be a part of painting a different picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus to the point that someone says, that's not at all what I thought it meant to be a Jesus follower. Tell me what is the source of your hope? What is the reason that you can be so hopeful and so thankful when everything in your life is falling apart? And you get to say, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about this kingdom that I'm a part of that this world cannot touch. Amen with me. Let's pray.